0: chapter 6 of the caves of fear by john blaine this librivox recording is in the public domain reading by mat peurard chapter 6 the golden mouse hobart Zircon listened to rick's report on the boy's findings then made an abrupt change of plans instead of eating in hong kong they took the ferry back to the hotel and took from their suitcases the old clothes each had brought to wear on the trail and to give them the look of experienced hunters. As Steve had pointed out, only amateurs go in for fancy togs as a rule. The experienced prefer tough, ordinary clothes like dungarees and denim shirts. As they unpacked, Scotty asked, Is it safe to leave our rifles and Rick's camera and that scientific stuff you brought? he referred to some delicate equipment packed in a special case that zircon had brought from the spindrift lab for investigating the heavy water they hoped to find perfectly safe zircon assured him in reputable hotels of this sort the chinese help is scrupulously honest you could leave money lying about and it would never be touched He had already reported on his conversation with the Consul General. There had been no word from Bradley, although Steve's instructions to cooperate with the Spindrift Party had arrived. The American official had promised to get in touch with them if Bradley turned up. He had never heard of the Golden Mouse. I think we had better try to get in touch with Chata right away, the scientist said so let's have a bite to eat here then go have a look at this golden mouse or canton charlie's from the description i'd say it is typical of a certain kind of place where toughs hang out each city in the orient has several if we wear these old clothes we'll be less conspicuous in a short time they were in hong kong again zircon hailed three rickshaws and they got in canton charlie's the scientist commanded chop chop the rickshaw boys started off at a trot the way led along the bay shore past wharves and piers until they were out of the central part of the city and moving into a section that was more as rick had imagined an oriental city to be the streets were wide but lined with board front buildings the signs were all in chinese and usually painted in gaudy colors there were no Englishmen in sight now, nor did they see any policemen. It was a long way. They had left their hotel in full daylight, but dusk had settled before the coolies finally turned off the main road. They went into a narrow street, then turned down another, and still another. With each turn, the streets narrowed and the light grew dimmer. How had Chota heard of a place in such a poor quarter of the city? Rick wondered. Presently. The rickshaws drew up in a dismal corner of what was little more than an alleyway. They were in front of a low wooden building with windows that hadn't been cleaned in years. Above the double door was a faded painting, illumined by a single electric light bulb. The painting probably was supposed to represent a mouse. Once, long ago, it had evidently been yellow. Now it was so glazed with grime that it was hard to tell rick stepped down from his rickshaw sniffing the combined odors of garlic pungent sauces filth and stale beer scotty joined him and they waited for the scientist to take the lead zircon handed some money to the coolies and ordered them to wait then he motioned to the boys and led the way to the door it opened on a large room dimly lighted by faded chinese lanterns that hung over low-power bulbs The walls were covered by a grimy paper of faded yellow on which unskilled drawings of mice at play were clustered. The floor was crowded with tables, each table covered with a yellow checkered tablecloth. So far as Rick could see, there wasn't a clean cloth in the lot. In front of the room was a long bar of scarred teakwood. Behind it were row after row of ordinary ten-cent store water tumblers rick guessed canton charlie's clients weren't fussy about drinking from fine crystal next to one wall a white man in rumpled dirty dungarees was sleeping with head down on the table his snores were not musical at one of the tables near the opposite wall a dark-skinned man in a seaman's woolen cap sat paring his nails with a knife easily a foot long zircon motioned to the boys and they sat down at one of the tables. It's too early for many customers, I suppose, but someone in charge must be here. He banged on the table, then lowered his voice. How do you like the customer over there, a Portuguese sailor from the look of him? In a moment, dingy curtains parted next to the bar, and a man emerged. At a guess, he was Spanish. Bet he's got a knife a foot long, too, under that apron, Scotty whispered. He's the type. Rick nodded. Scotty was so right. The man's heavy-lidded eyes were set in a swarthy face whose most prominent feature was a broken nose, flattened probably with some weapon like a hard-swung bottle. A white scar across his chin indicated that it might have been a broken bottle. He was medium-tall, and he wore a cap that might have been white once. An apron-covered loose black Chinese shirt and trousers. Rick was glad Big Hobart Zircon was sitting next to him. The man walked to the table and greeted them in a surprisingly soft voice, in which there was an accent Rick couldn't identify. You're a little early, gents, but I can take care of you. What'll you have? Shut Zircon said flatly. The man's eyes narrowed. You better have a drink and sit tight why zircon asked you'll see what'll you drink zircon ignored the question who are you canton charlie what'll you drink what have you got there was a ghost of a smile on the scarred face i'll fix you up he clapped his hands an elderly chinese in dirty whites shuffled out Canton Charlie spoke a few words of sing-song Cantonese, and the old man nodded. Sit tight, Charlie said again, and walked away. A lot of fine, useful information we're getting out of this, Scotty grumbled. I wonder how long we'll have to sit in this flea bag. Hard to say, Sir Con replied, but Charlie seemed friendly enough. The old Chinese was shuffling across the floor with a tray that held three tumblers of dark liquid. Wonder what he's going to give us, Rick said. Probably dragon blood. The Chinese put the glasses down in front of them and patted off again. Scotty picked up his glass and sniffed, and a grin split his face. Dragon blood, huh? Ten thousand miles from home, in the worst dive in Hong Kong, and what do we drink? Coke. Rick laughed. (laughs) American civilization and the mysterious East. But it suits me. Coke is probably the only thing in the house fit to drink. The Portuguese finished the drink that had been in front of him, gave his nails a last inspection, stowed his knife in a leg sheath, and left. He hadn't even looked at them. He's probably gone to find a blowtorch to shave with. Zircon rumbled. He motioned toward the door. New customers coming they were the first of many within a half hour the room was filled with a strange assortment there were British American French Dutch Portuguese and Filipino sailors and men of uncertain profession who ranged in complexion from pure Chinese to pure black many were Eurasians and of the Eurasians a large percentage were of mixed Chinese and Portuguese blood Zircon reminded the boys that the Portuguese colony of Macau was only half an afternoon's boat trip south of Hong Kong. By and large, Rick decided, Canton Charlie's customers were as tough a looking bunch of pirates as he had ever seen. They applauded noisily by banging glasses on the table as a disreputable lot of musicians appeared and began to make the night hideous with what seemed to be a Chinese version of a Strauss waltz. By this time, the room was so blue with cigar and cigarette smoke and so noisy with coarse chatter in a half-dozen tongues that it was hard to see or hear one's neighbor. Again, Rick wondered, how had Chahda ever heard of this place? He sipped on his third Coke and leaned over toward Scotty and Zircon. Wonder what's keeping Canton Charlie? zircon shrugged expressively can't do a thing but wait rick fortunately the wait was not much longer a chinese shuffled past and dropped a folded note on the table before they could question him he had made his way among the tables and was gone zircon picked up the note glanced through it and handed it to scotty rick read over his friend's shoulder the note was scrawled in pencil As though written in haste to find the one you want go to the end of the street of the three blind fishermen go to the junk with the purple sails let's get started rick said he rose to his feet zircon tossed some money on the table the three of them made their way through the noisy mob of roughnecks and out the door rick breathed deeply when they were out in the narrow street again even with the garlic this air smells better than what we left inside scotty said why do you think canton charlie didn't deliver the message himself maybe he's not mixed up in it rick suggested maybe he just had orders to let someone know when we showed up we'll soon know zircon predicted as the three rickshaw coolies materialized from the darkness where they had been waiting the americans climbed in zircon asked you know street called three blind fishermen one of the rickshaw boys nodded not far we go yes the rickshaws lurched forward inside the golden mouse canton Charlie darted for the table where the three had been waiting he stopped short as he saw they were no longer there turned on his heel and hurried into an inner room he spoke quick words to a slim chinese portuguese half-caste who immediately hurried out the back door. Once, in the open, the slim man ran as though devils were after him. End of chapter 6